Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, A.L. Levy. This show is brought to you by URM Academy, the world's best education for rock and metal producers. You know us for Nail the Mix, but today I'm here to tell you about Ultimate Drum Production, a brand new course that's going to completely transform the way you think about and record drums. You're going to be hearing a lot more about it in the coming weeks, but in the meantime, head over to ultimatedrumproduction.com to learn more. If you've been listening to the URM podcast, you know that we don't just talk to audio professionals on this show. We talk to anybody that we find inspiring because we find that lots of the lessons that you learn just from being a successful, motivated person in any field translate to our world of audio. So you really can learn from anybody who's made their dreams a reality and who's basically made the impossible possible for themselves. And I'm saying that because today's guest is not a producer. Um, He's actually a photographer. And it's somebody that I've known for over 10 years, and I've just watched him hustle his way into just having a great, great career. I saw him come up from nothing, and I've always just been blown away by his hustle, his work ethic, and of course, his talent. His name is Alex Morgan, and he's a highly motivated artist that specializes in photography, video production, and branding. The name of his company is Alex Morgan Imaging, and he works in lots of different genres of photography, from wedding shoots to landscapes to working on political campaigns or great shots of bands. I mean, you guys probably know him from looking at any great photo of Gojira that's ever been taken, but he's also shot titans like Aerosmith, Marilyn Manson, Metallica, Slayer, Kennel Corpse, and many, many, many more. He's also a killer drummer and just an inspiring guy. So without further ado, here we go. Well, Alex Morgan. Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. Well, long hello. time, long time. It's been a while, man. It's good to see your face. Good to see your face too. Yeah, it's been what, like five years? Like I saw you in LA at that Metal Blade thing, like I think yeah. in 2012, the Metal Summit. Something. I think. Yeah, is that what it was? And uh, Slagle invited me yes. to that, and that was a uh, that was a trip. And I'm I remember, not sure if he invited me or I wormed my way in, but, uh, well, I, I, I find it I interesting though, in. because like that was, I remember being at that and then we stepped outside and kind of hung out and started talking and you had brought up, like, I have this idea and I'm going to call it, I think at the time is unstoppable killing machine. That's right. And, uh, you're like, I have this idea for this kind of package deal kind of scenario and this and that and whatever. And we kind of went back and forth and here you are doing it. Yeah. Well, I thought that I, I personally love the unstoppable killing machine name, right? But for a professional education company, it's kind of, kind of didn't work. (laughs) So, um, you know, now it's cool though, because I mean, you kind of even the platform that you're discussing at the time, it's it's changed quite a bit than what your original thought process was in the yeah, first place. So it was more supposed to be at that time, like it was still getting people to, you know, achieve their dreams in audio and music and all that, but it was more of a one-on-one consultation platform, right? And that's actually sometimes something that we do now as one of our 
at one of the perks of membership at a at the URM enhanced level. But but yeah, it's the thing that's interesting, and I guess for people who are trying to do launch their own business or trying to find their place in the world, what's uh, one thing that I don't talk about much, which is cool that you brought up, is that um, you know your first time trying something may or your initial idea for something is not necessarily what you're going to end up with. Oh, yeah. Um, and you need to be very, very flexible. Um, sure. And go with what, you know, try your idea, see what works, get the feedback, and then don't be afraid to mold it to what the universe is telling you. Um, sure. What we realized very quickly when we tried to do those consultations is that nobody really wanted to pay for them over and over so it wasn't really worth it like we would get a band to sign up and do two consultations but i mean after a while it was just like how can we we can't turn this into a business this is not well, gonna that's, fly that's exactly what's happened to me because um originally it's like i you know i've always kind of been into photography and enjoyed it since i was a little kid really and um you know, going from film to digital and then like eventually digital cameras became digital video cameras. And then it turned into, you know, if you, um, I don't know, I, I didn't go to school for photography necessarily. So it was kind of like, I need to learn the graphic design side of things. So it turned into like graphic design, uh, photography already something that I was, I was messing with and developing. And then, and then it turned into like branding and marketing. And -hmm. now it's kind of what I do mostly and how I really make a significant amount of my money. It's, it's the full package. What do you need? Video, you need photos, you need, you know, a, a logo that's, you know, set in stone. And then you need to begin to kind of create a significant amount of content to kind of reinforce the brand that you're trying to, to create rather than just hiring me to take a photo. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is also, cause I've known you for a while. I remember back like around when I first met you and, uh, I met you because of how hard you hustle. Yeah. Um, but you didn't, you weren't like, you were just starting to maybe do a little bit of video yeah, uh, like around 2009 or 10, I remember you started, you made like a music video for your band. Right. And, but you, I already known you as a badass photographer at that point in time for a few years. And um, I, I do remember very, very clearly that then you started working with politicians on their campaigns. Yeah. And you just kept on expanding what you could bring to your clients rather than just staying in what you did in 2006 or seven. Sure. Yeah. And like, and, and another thing was at that time too, um, the possibility of specializing and saying, I specialize in this kind of photography or I specialize in this kind of anything really. I mean, I felt specializing in something was really going to kind of pigeonhole me and put me in a position to just do the same thing over and over and over, which is kind of a nightmare to me, you know, kind of how well, the- well, can you imagine, like try to imagine 10 years later, if you decided that you specialize in shooting pictures of metal bands. Right. And that's what, like, would do you think you'd be in nearly the same position as you are now? Um, monetarily, probably not. 
you know, but at the same time, there's something to be said about the metal band stuff because, um, I think if one person did all of the metal bands, then it would kind of defeat the creativity. I think that a lot of musicians want to achieve when it comes down Mm -hmm. to their own persona and their mystique and the way that they come off. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on how, if that ended up happening to me, um, I, you know, I wouldn't want to just work with metal bands. I want to work with, you know, work with rappers and pop artists and, you know, classical musicians and like whatever, you know, I wouldn't really want to just be like metal so basically, only. So basically you would have lost your mind. Yeah. Eventually it just, then, it would, yeah, <laughs> it'd be like this light goes here and this light goes there and you guys stand there and you cross your arms and you look mad and you just, you know, like every single thing. Here's this formula I figured out that worked for cannibal corpse. So I'm going to apply it to everybody else. And that's all you get, you know? And it, and I don't know, I just, I can't, you know, I love being able to work with the bands that I get to work with. Cause it really puts me in a position to, you know, think into, you know, be dramatic with lighting and, you know, have that kind of, kind of gritty, the grit associated with it to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and then have to kind of switch gears completely and shoot a wedding and make it elegant and beautiful, you know, or like a portrait and, you know, portraiture is crazy too, because I mean, you know, everybody looks different. And so the lighting and angle for one person doesn't even come close to working for another person. So portraiture is really kind of turned into what I really, what I'm really interested in and really enjoy. But I think if I just... You know, if I just uh, specialize in portraiture, it'd be the same thing. And just, I, I think I just probably get jaded and just end up showing up and be like, "All right, here's a picture of you." You know, you see, you see that with uh, recording a lot, sure. too. And we encourage our students to, you know, obviously you're gonna you're gonna be drawn to what you love, mm-hmm. but you should not limit yourself to just the style of music that you listen to because lots sure. of people. I mean, I know of like, for instance, a metalhead dude who now has won like three Latin Grammys and he right. makes his whole living off of Latin pop. And he would have never imagined that. I don't think he even likes that style of music, but he's just really, really good at it. Sure. Um, and also, you know, even if you're not working at the Grammy level, so you're just working on a local or regional level. I've seen lots of guys who just do metal or something and it stunts their their growth as an artist and yeah. also financially because um uh because by stunting your growth artistically or technically in the field of recording or photography or music right um you're not going to you're not going to keep on evolving and attracting new clients and sure new clients and so yeah they get bitter they get jaded and they just don't do as well um as the guys that I know who are just great at recording, right? They're passionate about recording, and they'll take on almost anything. However, of course, there's always like a uh, there's always the unicorns who are just like a genius at a certain style, and right. they happen to produce a band that got big. Like my partner Joey Sturgis, um, when you know Devil Wears Prada broke, and he kind of created that style and sure. that's what he did and that's what he was known for. There are those cases, but it's, it's rare. It's well, definitely not the norm. 
And there's something you said too. I mean, what we're, what we're trying to, what we're kind of touching on right now, I think is, I, I say this a lot, especially to like younger kids, but then kind of bring it up to other people that are like, oh man, I want to get into photography or I want to get into like whatever. Uh, comfort, I think, is an issue with people now. Like now everybody's like, well, I think everybody's getting to this point where they're like, man, I just, you know, I just want to be comfortable, you know, and that's, and that's cool. But you know, from like comfortable in life, like, like I don't want big things. I just want to be comfortable. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's kind of different for everybody. Uh, Comfortable for me means like, I guess not having to worry about you know, not being able to pay bills and things like that. I mean, that kind of takes like a whole significant weight off my shoulders to be able to kind of think clearly about exactly Mm -hmm. what I have to do. But I think what people kind of find is uh, like nowadays with like social media and like all the video games and all the movies and all the access to all this entertainment, which people like us create. And I'm Mm -hmm. glad that everybody loves it. (laughs) But as a creative person, the more comfortable you are, it seems like that's when your, your work starts to suck. Does that make, make sense? It's like you kind of, you get into this niche and then you, you know, you kind of have to go all over the place and do all this stuff to finally find this one thing that, you know, maybe that's your goal, but you find this one particular thing, like I was talking about, like specializing and maybe your work doesn't suck, but maybe like your attitude towards the work eventually turns into sucking. Does that make sense? You get kind of bored, you get kind of, you know, content. So I I think uh, being content and being comfortable for a creative person kind of, it's kind of like a band's music starting to suck whenever they're, when they become rich, you know, when they stop doing drugs or stop doing drugs or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that the best And that doesn't go for everybody, but it's just kind of like, it seems to be kind of a a common kind of common story sometimes, you know, I think you got to stay at the edge of your ability Mm -hmm. um, and keep pushing that so that you're continually in a state of discomfort. And we we put out a course called speed mixing um, last year, and we're going to put it out again this year where the whole idea is to completely work out your workflow and your skills and everything so that you can crush way more mixes way faster and then you know if you want to book more clients you obviously if you're working faster you make more per hour or right. you have more time more free time or whatever but the whole course is a 12-week course we're trying to get people out of their comfort zone learning new things and that's really where you start to see results and i think right and i know for me personally um anytime that i get comfortable and complacent and stop learning that's when i start repeating myself and my work does start to either plateau or gradually decline. Sure. Um, the times in my life where I'm making sure to, you know, I buy a lot of online courses or read lots of books where I'm like in that stuff. And even I'm not studying 12 hours a day, even if I like learn new concepts for one hour, that like affects my entire output for like a week. Sure. In terms of creativity and quickness of finding solutions it's i think it's really really important to keep pushing past your personal boundaries yeah um and no one's gonna the man people get comfortable uh and there's no one to really push you when you're an entrepreneur you got to push yourself right so it, it definitely is a big trap that you can fall into once you start doing well. Yeah. And that's where like passion projects and personal projects come back in. Because I mean, when you first start, you're kind of like, 
you know, I know a lot of people that, I mean, God, they like quit some job that they eventually decided. I mean, they were doing well, but they had it in their head. They're like, I don't want to do this forever. So I'm going to go buy a camera and I'm going to buy this online course and, and get into this particular thing. And usually it's wedding photography that people end up doing this with. And, you know, it's, it's tricky because they throw themselves into it. They put themselves out there. Maybe they'll get some jobs. Maybe they won't, but sometimes they want to, you'll catch them kind of sitting there and waiting for somebody to call because they have like a Google ad out or something like that. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting to me is that I, I never waited for somebody to call. It was just certainly didn't. Yeah. If I'm not, if I'm not working for someone, then I'm just going to go out and fill my time with something that I actually want to do and do that. And then usually when you have this kind of a passion project, it really, I think the passion projects are kind of what the, where the attraction comes from. And because you, you get the chance on a passion project, you get the opportunity to actually go out and do exactly what you want to do ideally, but exactly what you want to do with this scenario. You have some time to work with. Um, hopefully you can find, if it takes some funding or like whatever, hopefully you can figure out, I mean that, you know, you just go work somewhere else. You get a job and make money just doing something just by making money if you have to fund it. But like, um, and don't expect the thing that you want to do to pay for it. You go out and make money mm-hmm. so you can do the thing. But once you finish that kind of thing and put it out, I think that's kind of how I attracted people in the first place was just going out and, you know, shooting photos of things that I liked and, uh, shooting photos of bands or shooting, doing whatever I wanted and putting that out there. And that's what really made people start going, Whoa, you know, that, that would you do that for me? And then, and then you get kind of, sometimes you get people call you and they're like, how much would it cost? And you haven't even developed like a, 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 a monetary system of how to charge for it yet. And so you just make a little bit of money and put it out. But maybe sometimes those people that call you aren't even the ideal subject for what you're really trying to do, but you get kind of thrown into the opportunity to start making money doing what you like to do. You know, yeah, I can definitely echo how much you did go for projects back in the day, especially when you were starting. I remember um, you would drive from Indiana to Atlanta oh, yeah. to or um, Arizona, even mm-hmm. or Florida. Like if there was an opportunity to work. Yeah. Um, you know, and even if there was very little budget, as long as we like made sure that you weren't paying out of pocket, paying you know, out of pocket or something. Yeah. Uh, you I remember that exact trip that you were talking about too. Cause that was like, that was the first time I ever got the opportunity to use social media. Like, I mean, that was like MySpace, dude. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Like back in the, does everybody remember MySpace? How can I forget? <laughs> so, but, but the cool thing about MySpace was like, you know, I remember when that came out, I was like, I was in a, I was in a couple of bands and one of the bands cut a demo and they're like, yeah, we can put this on MySpace. And I was like, whoa, wh- what do you mean? And they're like, yeah, you can take this and put it online and then people can hear your music. And, you know, I was just kind of like, that kind of caught my attention. I remember that one particular thing caught my attention. And then I realized, oh, you can use this as a platform for photography too. And I mean, there's a lot of selfies on there and there's a lot of butt pics and like whatever people were doing at the time, you know, but really if you honed it in and turned it into, here's my creative portfolio on this, you know, this, this new platform, that trip that you were talking about, I remember 
where did it start? Like, I think that we well, did. Well, I mentioned three trips. So what, which one right. are you talking about? Well, when I met you in LA and then we ended up going to Phoenix. Yes. The Arizona trip. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I remember, man, I think I was like in Florida and then did a job, flew to LA, worked with you and then flew to Phoenix and worked with you again for a separate project. And all of those projects, I was just like, here's how much it would cost for me to fly there. And then people were like, well, I can pay for your plane ticket. You know, I wasn't really trying to make a profit. I was just trying to get there mm-hmm. and do it and be there and see it. And, you know, especially at that time, I just needed to be around people that were inspiring and kind of in the same kind of work mode and same kind of creative drive that I was seeking, you know, cause Indiana, and you know, I mean, it's not a bad place. I like Indiana, but I just wasn't like surrounded by inspiration at the time, you know? So I was seeking it out for sure. You know? Yeah. That's, that also brings up something that, you know, comes up a lot. Lots of people are like, I live in the middle of nowhere. I'm trying to start a recording career. What do I do? And, you know, obviously you can make it on the internet these days. That is possible. But I mean, Dude, FaceTime, you got to be around the I've, people. Yeah, I, I have traveled for opportunity multiple times in my life, yep. and I will still do it. And the people I know who have done the best have done exactly what you did too. In you know traveling, maybe you're not going to make a bunch of money, but you're going to be around the right people. You're going to be inspired to do better work. Um, yep. They're going to introduce you to their contacts. Like these are the things you have to do. And so we encourage people who are first trying to get their recording career going, just work for free if you have to. I mean, you consider moving to a better market. Right. All those things. I mean, they're tough. You have to sacrifice stuff to make those things work, but that is what it takes. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, FaceTime, I mean, all this internet stuff that's going on nowadays, people are just like, well, you know, I can Skype you or I can do this or I can do that. And there's so many people and it's amazing that we can do this now. There's so many people that I've worked with for years that I've never met in real life especially mm-hmm. in Europe and things like that. But, but when you get to meet them in real life, it kind of creates like a significant, a significantly stronger bond and uh, like almost a, a trust. I mean, if your work's worth it, you know, if, if, if your work's good, but um, everybody has an opportunity to learn and get better too. But at the same time, you know, there's something to be said about an individual that is willing to take a chance and fly out and, and show that they care so much that they'll, they'll show up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's intoxicating. And, and, it's well, infectious. and I can't, okay. So as a photographer, if I'm not there, I can't shoot a photo of anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of a prerequisite. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't be like, yo, Skype your Skype your show like on your phone and then I'll just take some screenshots <laughs> with my phone. <laughs> I mean, I have to <laughs> physically be there, you know? And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, there, there's something, you know, that's the comfort thing too. You know, I mean, a lot of my, my, my career is based off of, uh, what I remember about my career is the, you know, the jet setting and the, the farmer walks like carrying 50, 60 pounds with the gear through airports, um, you know, being exhausted, showing up and being like, all right, I'm here. I hope I don't ruin this. You know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. never really being comfortable. I mean, 90% of any, you know, huge opportunity that I've ever had, uh, I was not in 100% fully rested, fully nourished, fed, well, ready to go 
mode, you know, it was just kind of like autopilot and cross your mm-hmm. fingers. And, but I mean, the main, the most important thing about it was the fact that I was there, you know, and I, that's the only way to meet people. That's the only way to kind of expand your network. That's the only way. And, you know, I mean, it's just to be a face on a screen. It, it was, I think it was really effective at one point, but then it gets to a point where, you know, it's kind of like even other podcast people, um, not to mention another podcast, but you know, Rogan, I don't think, oh, I, I love don't, that podcast. Yeah. I don't think Rogan would be as big as he is in le- if he wasn't on stage doing his other, you know, being multifaceted, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely. And being into so many different things than just the, the thing that you're really into that makes you money or eventually, you know, I mean, it's, constantly kind of expanding your interest and kind, uh, you know, life, expanding your life experience, I think really helps bring everything back to that one particular thing that you're actually trying to do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, uh, so just out of curiosity now a days that you are very established, um, yeah. Say an opportunity came up that was beyond your current level. Sure. And, all they could pay for was a plane ticket or whatever. Right. Would I do it? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, if it was something I was like, you know, oh shit, like this is, this could be a huge deal. I I mean, yes, I've never exactly done something like this particularly, but I think I could figure it out, but I don't know. I don't know if I can pull this off unless I go, Mm Hmm. You know, and that kind of, uh, I mean, I recently had a job pop up that was, um, it was for, there's, there's certain jobs that pop up that I, I call uh, extreme photography challenge. You know, it's like, if there was a game show where it was just like a pile of gear and then like this random scenario and it's like, you have five people and you just got to pick two pieces of gear and then go kind of, I think that that would be kind of a cool like game show. Cause I always feel like I'm kind of thrown into situations where it's like, I don't exactly know what to do here. Like right when they call me and go, this is what we want. And it kind of goes and you go into like kind of a research scenario where you're like, I've never really done this. So, so this particular job was for, it was uh, for a jeweler and mm-hmm. uh, they wanted me to photograph and it's, it's kind of like jump starting a rebranding campaign for a, a jeweler here. That's pretty significant. And um, I had to shoot 93 pieces of jewelry and this is a macro photography job. So that's definitely not something that, I mean, I've shot photos of like bugs and details mm-hmm. and butterflies or whatever with <laughs> the macro, but it's not very often that I really use this. And I, you know, I went into it like, you know, I accepted the job and then went back and was like, oh shit, like I, I, I really need to like figure this out, you know, cause I can't <laughs> show up. Cause I had to like literally set up in these people's office and be like, hi, how you doing? I'm going to shoot all of this like right here next to you while you watch me. And so I put, man, you know, I put probably 12 hours of pre-production and borrowing people's jewelry and, and really finding out what works, what doesn't work and dev- like learn this whole new uh, process called photo stack, uh, focus stacking where in Photoshop, like I have a rail system that literally I put my camera on a tripod and I literally have to, instead of like focusing, I'm literally moving the camera forward and that, that changes the focal plane all the way through a ring. So imagine like a ring is like a circle and I'm shooting the mm-hmm. big diamond in the front, but I have to, they want a finished product that's, you know, the entire rings in perfect focus, which means that I have to shoot 
a photo of the front of the ring, like the diamond, and then midway through the ring, because these fo- the, the focus is so shallow in macro photography that only one little pinprick point is like in focus per photo. So each one of these rings that I was shooting, I had to like shoot the front of the ring in focus and then move the camera forward barely and then take a remote so it didn't move the camera and then shoot another photo and basically shoot the focal plane of the entire ring from the front of the ring all the way to the back, which sometimes would be like 15 photos just for one ring and then go into Photoshop and then merge all 15 together and hopefully everything's in focus kind of thing, you know? And then Mm -hmm. I had to, and then I ended up having to, I ended up having to call, um, doing all the chimera stuff up in Cleveland. Um, I'm, I met a, a girl named Jocelyn that all she does is photo retouching. And I called her and was like, uh, I got this job. Can you help me out? Uh, focus stacking. Do you know anything about it? And she's like, that's all I do. And I'm like, amazing. Um, so she recommended this new software called Helicon Focus because Photoshop, it would take 35 minutes to render one picture. And I had 93 products Jeez. to do. And I had to get them turned around in like a week. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, it turns in, you know, sometimes these jobs, the jobs that you don't necessarily know what you're doing are the most exciting ones just because of the fact that you don't even know if you can pull it off or not, you know? Yeah. And they would have never hired me again if I would have ruined that job, you know? And and, then they're real happy and, you know, but it's saying I was sweating, I was sweating bullets through the whole thing. You know what I mean? And that's the most satisfying part about it, you know? So 12 hours of pre-pro. Um, yeah. And I didn't get paid for any of that. You know what I'm saying? Usually I work pre-production into a, an, into a budget, but this was like, I can't charge them for pre-production because I don't, I really don't know what I'm doing and I'm not going to tell them that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but point is that you did whatever it took so that you would walk in like an asshole. Right. And waste their time. Absolutely. Um, and embarrass yourself. Um, you did whatever it was needed to learn the skills before you walked in. Oh, totally. Um, and failed miserably multiple times before I went into, uh, mm-hmm. actually, pro- actually start production, you know? So that sounds kind of fearless, but at the same time, like a very calculated risk, like, right. This is risky. Um, I could fail at this, but I'm going to soften that by doing as much preparation as I possibly can. So, right. You take something that could potentially be a disaster and you hedge, you make the odds be more in your favor and then you're taking a calculated risk. Sure. And as we all know, it's very, very hard to grow in life or business or whatever without taking risks. Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, when I decided to stop producing for a living and make URM become a thing, that was a big risk too because I was making a lot of money sure. and had a good life. and it could have all gone down the tubes Yeah. Um, by, I mean, I, I could always go back to production, I guess, but um, it's very, very hard once you've stopped to regain momentum. Oh like, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it would have been fine, but it, by just stopping and being like, I'm doing this, uh, there was a ton of risk involved, but I, I softened the risk um, by doing all these classes on Creative Live, yep. by doing everything I could for a few years to establish that this was something that would work. Totally. So I knew it would work. I knew it might take a, a year or two, mm-hmm. but I knew that it would work. Had I just like been like, I have this idea, 
I'm going to quit what I'm doing and make this happen. That seems really stupid. You're right. <laughs> like, you, like back in 2012 or 2013, um, right around then when we met up and I told you I had this idea, back then I already knew that I was going to stop producing. Sure. Um, and start doing this. But I just, you know, I had to wait a few years until it was the right time. But, uh, like, you know, even back then I knew that that was the direction. So I think, I think whether it's a job that you're going to take next week or it's a big career move, the, the lesson is the same. You do have to take the risks. You do have, you do have to jump off the cliff, Totally. but whether or not you have a parachute and a hang glider is up to you. Sure. Well, and you and there's another thing to it too, where, uh, you know, you uh, entrepreneurially speaking, you know, when you start and you're, I don't even know if entrepreneurially speaking is like a real set of words, but I'm going to use them right now. But there's something to be said about when you first start and you have no work. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and so you don't really have a team of people. You just, it's just you and, and you, you have no work and you kind of create some things that put you in a position to attract work. And then you start working. Now, the other, the other thing about that is, as like, which is the growing pains of being an entrepreneur. Once you become successful, the new terrifying aspect of it is becoming too busy. Oh yes. You know, and, and, and getting to that point where you're like, you know, sought after, which is insanely, um, which is insanely, um, it, it's flattering and terrifying at the same time. Cause you get to this point where you're like, okay, I have to do a great, I have to do a great job every single time. Uh, just for a, a personal example, um, not just being too busy, but like doing a great job every single time. I remember I worked with cannibal, in 2010, I think, or probably 2008. I think the first time I worked with them was like in 2008, like after I came back from Europe, uh, doing Gojira's first show with Metallica. And, um, I came back and, uh, zero tolerance magazine. You've heard of them? Yeah. 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 And so like, uh, I think their editor calls me and I'm in Evansville, you know, and I get a phone call and they're like, hello, is this Alex Morgan? You know, I'm like, that's, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those, like wh- this, this number from, you know, England or London is calling me. And I, I pick up and they're like, can you fly down to Tampa, Florida and shoot photos of cannibal corpse, please? And I'm just kind of like, oh, I remember that. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, it's kind of, you know, mind blowing. So I go down there and do it. And we hung out and had a good time and uh, met everybody. And then afterwards, a couple of years later, they hired me to do the photos for torture. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, we figured out a budget, got me down there. We hung out, we went to these places. There is very, you know, there are certain things that I was like, you know, I think, I think it'd be cool if we did this. You know, the band was like, ah, uh, you know, I don't know. It could be really, really cheesy if it, if it doesn't work out properly kind of thing. You're like, well, you know, just come on, man, just, you know, hold this thing and just, just do it. And if you hate it, then whatever. And so we end up doing all these pictures and then I show them and then they're like, oh, you know, oh shit. Like this is, we love these. And then it turns into, oh, this is the best photo shoot we've had in 25 years. And then Slagle's like, that's the best photo shoot Cannibal's ever had. And then I'm like, in the back of my head, I'm going, oh no, not just, oh no. Like I'm stoked. But at the same time, if they call me again, like I seriously have to like one up this. (laughs) That is terrifying. But 
that's it's, it's an that's interesting scenario. It. Yeah, right, right, right. And it's a really, but that was the kind of the first real scenario that I've been in like that. Does that make sense? And so, so going back, what you know, that job in particular kind of contributed to getting more jobs. In, mm-hmm. in the metal stuff. And then, you know, like you mentioned, uh, political season. Okay. So I doing and doing work in the, the political realm. Uh, I fell into that cause my, I was a marching band in high school and I was lead snare in high school. And my, uh, my buddy that was second snare ended up being political. His name's Reese Collins. And, uh, he ended up being, he ended up going to school for political science, moved out to Arlington, Virginia, and was working with these, you know, these campaigns. And he calls me kind of out of nowhere and is like, Hey, my mom saw your website and said that you're doing a really good job. Like with photography, do you think you could shoot photos of these politicians? And I'm like, sure. And he flies me out. We do four politicians in two days, two 12 hour days, come back. And I've been doing it for 10 years now. And so in, in the, the realm of the normal production scheduling of my year, I might be, you know, booked and then get, you know, during the campaign season, these people call me last minute, dude, you know, can you be in Savannah, Georgia? Like it's like Tuesday. Can you be in Savannah on Thursday, you know, or something? And it's like, sure. Mm -hmm. And then it turns into literally shooting almost every day. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like in the beginning of my year, I really don't know what I'm doing. And then towards the middle of the year, it's like, I'm shooting every day, which means that I have to be like editing all of this also. So it kind of stacks up and you have to figure out this new, you have to solve this new problem. Man, I can totally relate. Time management is such a huge part of being able to, you know, once you do experience some success, if you want to keep it going or grow beyond that, you have to take on time management. And I learned this the hard way, um, back when I was, uh, in Florida. So, because basically I was, uh, helping, I was assisting, um, the guys I worked with at audio hammer, but then I started getting my own bands too. And so before you knew it, it went from a very light load to, uh, <laughs> to, me it's nicotine having, by the way bro look, <laughs> just saying me having five to ten projects a month to, yeah that i needed right some of them i was producing so i was mixing some i was just assisting right but like five to ten bands a month mm-hmm. and it, it, at first it was like one or two and before it just kind of happened suddenly so it got to the point where stuff was stacking up and stacking up and stacking up that's when i called john douglas and um and started delegating stuff to him, and, and he was cutting, he was cutting drums and stuff like that, right? Um, he was editing drums for me, yeah, right. that I recorded. And so, like, we at first it was really stressful for us because there was so much work and shit was getting backed up. But we figured out a system where uh, of how I would send work to him, and he would get it back in time, and right, and and there's no by, book for that. You can't go buy the book no. that like tells you how to do that. You know, but, but I'll tell you that doing that was crucial and the learning how to delegate was crucial and those skills have carried over to now. Sure. Now, um, I mean, now I have a lot more on my plate than I did back then. Well, that takes letting go of stuff too. Letting go of stuff, right? Like where, you know, I think you and I, I think you and I have had this conversation about being a purist 
And like, mm-hmm. if you're a purist and a perfectionist, like you're probably not going to get shit done. That's correct. And, and, and part of that, like, you know, in the beginning of your career, you kind of have to be a purist and you have to be a perfectionist and you have to like do a really good job and, and everything that you release, like you want it all to be like you, like I did all of this, Does that mm-hmm. you know, and which is funny because my, my company's Alex Morgan imaging. So like, if I don't show up, then like, they're kind of pissed, which yes. I always show up. But so, I mean, I'm kind of pigeonholed myself into this delegating certain things is kind of, is impossible for me to a certain degree right now, just because that's, they want me to come and do all of this, you know? But, um, yeah, being able to let go of that purist and perfectionist part of yourself and understand that like, look, you know, you're like talking to yourself. You have to be like, look, you have to get this done. This has to, you have to find the starting point and the end point. And whenever you become, you know, relatively sought after there, there's that like a production schedule. And it's like, you know, for you, it's when you're producing, we have to have this record has to be started at this day and it has to be finished on this day. You know, yeah, and, and, and when you've got five, care, we, we don't care if you have four other bands. Yeah, right. And if you have four other bands going at the same time, that means that you know all of these production schedules stack on top of each other, and then your brain's like kind of all over the place. And you know, that's that's when you start learning that you just have to let go. You just have to let mm-hmm. go of certain things and trust that you know you just pray that like so somebody, you're working with working with the right people right and that that and those right people have to kind of get a grip on your vision right you know so i mean they have to you know people to edit for me which is extremely rare but they have to really know how i i would think ab- about this particular scenario, you know, mm-hmm. which is the the most difficult part about delegating, especially for imagery, well, you know. Lo- luckily, when working with John Douglas, um, after about a year, he was better than me at that. Sure. And then after about two years, he was way better than me at that stuff. Sure. So it was not a, the problem. You know, the problem was maybe trying to pass him too much stuff right like and then overloading him but uh that i think it's crucial um if you know if you're a leader type and you have a vision and you obviously do need to learn how to delegate at some point Mm -hmm. it's very very important that you pick the right people oh sure yeah man and i'm lucky to have like you know i'm lucky to have a handful of people here in town i mean um you know, a buddy of mine that I went to high school with, his, his name's Mitch Ellis, and he, like, works for another production, like, kind of a production house here in town. And my buddy Toby Hitchcock, I mean, he does, he specializes in video. So if somebody comes to me and goes, hey, we want this, you know, semi-trucking video, I mean, semi-trucking company, you know, they call me and say, hey, I saw this, I don't know, I'm trying to think. Some of my, some of the clients that call me see some, like, random stuff. They're like, I saw that video you did for that metal band. And I own a trucking company and I want you to make a video for my trucking company. <laughs> and you're kind of like, okay, okay, you know? And so, uh, in, in, in videos, a completely different set of, uh, you know, set of gear. I, I didn't really want to go out and like shoot this stuff with DSLRs. I wanted to shoot it with significant video stuff. So I'll call Toby, you know, and get him on some, uh, you know, the video stuff and I'll kind of direct. And, or if I have like significant graphic design, I feel that Mitch has like a strong design sense and kind of his, his gears turn in that direction. And and, and he can produce something 
quality quickly, you know, in that realm. He's a, good, he's a great photographer too, but it's been nice to be able to finally get to that point where I'm throwing, getting, you know, you get to kind of utilize, you get to utilize other great minds like within, uh, you know, the same kind of projects and yeah, the bigger absolutely. you get, yeah, the bigger you get, you get to network with these people that you respect their work too. And then hopefully, you know, you get the opportunity to collaborate. Now, now I'm really at this point in my, my career where I really enjoy collaborating with people that are better at certain things that I am. So Dude, puts me in a position to, yeah, puts me in a position to learn, you know, it's awesome. I've actually done that my entire career. That was kind of the idea behind my band uh, lineup. Right. was I wanted to get a bunch of dudes who were better than me technically. And I did. Um, Cause I knew that I was pretty good at Doth, writing. That was, was pretty good. Well, <laughs> I, I knew my strengths were writing catchy riffs and um, having a vision and knowing how to network and hustle and that stuff. I was really, really good at. Sure. But, you know, maybe, you know, I was a pretty good player, but not like, not like aim or sure. something. And so right. I just figured nobody, nobody be, really is though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I wanted to be the worst player in the band and, um, I wanted their skills to make up for my lack of skills and then, uh, you know, have my, my writing and my hustle and all that stuff be what I brought to the table. Sure. And, you know, if I wanted, if I let my ego control it and got guys that were, that I was better than how that wouldn't have even worked. And so, you know, and that's it kind of like with my partnership now with Joey Sturgis and Joel, one second, they're better than me at certain things. Sure. And that's why our partnership works. Right. Absolutely. Well, and there's something um, to be said about this band thing nowadays too. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I've been a musician my whole life. I've always enjoyed music and like my, my philosophy towards it was always, you know, if, for some reason, music lets me down, which a lot of people put themselves in a position to let music let them down. I think, mm -hmm. um, I feel as music's, you know, music's this amazing thing that if you learn how to do it, you know, you're, you're lucky to even have the ability to even come close to even making anything well, sound good. Let me you know? interrupt you for sure. a second and just let everyone know Alex is a drummer and an actually awesome drummer. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, actually, like a really, really, really good drummer. So. <laughs> well, yeah, um, and so, I mean. So it's not just like that you kind of played music. You actually got really good. Yeah, I got like obsessed with uh, trying to, you know, kind of. And when I met my guitar player in uh, the band that I was in at that time, Deliver Us From Evil, which I finally got our stuff back up on Spotify again, which is kind of cool. So people can actually nice. search that. But um, not, I'm, I'm not even trying to like make any money off of it. So if you search it, cool. If you don't, then who cares? But like <laughs> the guitar player in that band was phenomenal. You know, yes. when, I, when I met him, I was just like, holy shit, you know, and it kind of, you know, lit a fire under me and really, you know, we kind of went back and forth and inspired each other to kind of get as, you know, get as tight as we possibly could. And um, there was something to be said about the fact that the band, what I found was, you know, my ADD nature is like, okay, I, I'm really into this and I'm really into that. And then I really get into something else. And I, I, I kind of delegate my time and my brain space to kind of spread my interests, like kind of all over the place, which when I was a kid, mm -hmm. people would kind of go, you know, you got too many irons and too many fires and blah, blah, blah. And, but the band was a pretty significant platform in which I got the chance to be recognized not only as somebody that can play music, but 
I think my whole goal of being in a band the whole the first place was just kind of to earn the respect of my peers. Does that make sense? Like the yep. fact that, you know, the only reason that you and I met is because my band played with you and my band and our friends in LTC in, in Kentucky um, played with you guys whenever you were on your first tour when you signed a Roadrunner and you still, you didn't even have Sean, like Sean wasn't in, in the band and Kevin wasn't even in the band yet. Oh God, those days. I know. <laughs> and so, 2006. But we played together and we were, you know, I remember all of us kind of hanging out afterwards and, and talking to, and, you know, you guys were like, you know, you guys are definitely like the best band we've seen so far on this small tour that we're doing kind of thing. And we just, and, and we hit it off and it wasn't like, I wasn't expecting anything from it. It was just kind of like that, like you're awesome. And I'm glad that you think that we, you know, can hang too, kind of thing. We're putting a lot of time into this shit. So hopefully certain people give a shit, you know what I mean? And it kind of turned into a bond, like a bonding scenario. So the band really turned into a platform where like people saw that I was kind of considered me a player. Cause mm -hmm. I mean, you can be a drummer, but like being a player means like you can really play, you know, significantly. And there's that respect thing that kind of goes back and forth. And I think that really helped. The band was a platform for me to like really connect with a band like you and a band like Chimera and a band like Gojira and a band like, you know, Cannibal, um, Hate Eternal. I mean, all these bands that I'm working with, you know, I mean, it's, it's insane to me thinking back, like my 13, 12 year old, 13 year old self would look at what the people I'm working with now and go, what, you know? Holy you know, shit. It's funny <laughs> that that works in production too. That's sure. one of the things that I always tell people um, who want to grow their production career is uh, get a band together and yeah. make it really, really good. Right. Because um, if you don't have clients, you can at least make your own music sound incredible. Exactly. And you will network with people, they'll hear your stuff. And if you make your own stuff sound incredible and your band's badass, they'll at least take you more seriously and you'll have the opportunity uh, just like that gave you the opportunity to convince me to be like, let's give this Alex guy a shot with photos. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. yeah. And like, and it was interesting too. Cause I mean, I think what happened was we played, we ended up doing some shows together and then we stayed in touch and then it turned into what happened? I mean, I remember. Man, I don't remember. Well, I, th well there's wh what happened was, is I ended up coming back from some crazy ass trip. And I think it was, I think what happened was, is that the only reason I even got into this live photography concert stuff was because um, Louisville was a pretty significant market for my band. And so my band met all the, all the promoters and all the people that would like book in Louisville. And then I also met this other, this other dude named Brendan that like runs, uh, I think he runs like, it was like Metal Armada or, or something like that. Yeah. Metal Armada was like the Facebook page and the MySpace page. And he kind of runs this social media platform, like runs it and works with Machine Head and stuff like that, I think it, sometimes. But he was like, do you want to shoot a show in Nashville? It's Lamb of God, Gojira and Trivium and Machine Head. And I remember being like, well, yeah, you know, and so he's like, all right, well, you got to go. There's this venue called City Hall in Nashville. And so I ended up going and had no expectations, didn't even know if I was going to get in. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I go there. I'm there two hours early. I'm sitting on the back steps and 
you know, I hear Gojira war- like warming up and I remember being like, they played that song Ocean Planet and I remember hearing their sound check and going, holy shit, that sounds so, di- like, not just better than the record. Like, and not that the record didn't sound good, but it was better like this. Better than everybody. <laughs> oh my God, it was like my spinal cord like froze and was like, I don't know. It's just kind of a goosebumps kind of moment where you're like, holy shit. Like I did not expect, I didn't know what I was expecting, but I didn't expect that at all. And so I'm hanging out and hearing this stuff and then I'm just sitting there, nothing's happening. And then, um, I look down, uh, this guy sits down in front of me on these stairs, like next to the venue. And I'm like, Hey man, uh, do you know what time it is? And I think, I don't even think I had, I think my cell phone died or something. And so he spins around and he's like, um, I, uh, can you speak a little bit more slowly? <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, oh, are you from France? And he's like, yeah. I was like, are you with Gojira? And he goes, yeah. And, uh, it turns out it was Richard Gamba, which is their man, their, their former mm-hmm. manager. And so we end up talking and I shoot the show and, you know, all of a sudden like Phil Dimmel walks out and he's like, are you, is Alex Morgan out here? And I'm like, yeah, Phil Dimmel. Hey, what's up? You know? And so he, he brought me in and then it was like, here you go. Here's your pass and took off and did the thing. And I shot everything at the end of the night. Uh, Gojira's, uh, manager gave me his card and then the photos weren't even that great. Cause like I was shooting with like a Nikon D 100 or something like that. I mean, it was like the first like digital DSLR that really came out. It's like, it's, it's, it's more of like a, $2,500 paperweight now. Does that make sense? And so, mm-hmm. um, after that happened, they gave me a shot to come out to St. Louis at pops and do promo. Cause nobody had shot any U S promo yet. So I did all this promo stuff. And then that went out. And once I started working with them and you were like, you know, you had just, I think you had just gotten Kevin and like, you guys were doing like Ozfest or something. And so I yes. went up to Indy and like shot photos of uh, some of the Ozfest stuff and hung out with you guys. And then Gojira opened for Metallica in, um, in, in Arras, France in 2008. And I hit up Richard, their manager at the time. I was like, yo, if I fly there, can I photograph that show? You know? And he's like, well, absolutely. You know? And so, um, I remember talking to my parents and being like, this was like kind of the most significant, like, Hey, uh, so there's this thing going down. And if you can help me get there, then I'll just see what happens. Um, they were supportive. Thank God. And, uh, I got over there, shot it, came back and the promotions that kind of came off that I think kind of showed kind of everybody what I could do. And then I remember having a conversation with you on the phone after all of that stuff going down and you're like uh, if anyone wants to see these photos we're going to put them in the show notes on our website oh killer yeah so because these are great photos and i think that people should see them but all right so we talked on the phone yeah after that you know you i I know that there's a little bit of buzz going on not just kind of underground buzz about me but not really like super you know, blown out there. And, um, I think that you had reached out and you knew what I was doing and you, you know, the concealers was getting ready to, you're going through production. I think with concealers are going into pre-production for concealers or something like that. What year was mm-hmm. that? What year is concealers? Oh, eight. Yeah. Yeah. So that was going down. And, um, I think that you had, you had already had some photos taken and that just wasn't the direction that you were wanting them to go. And you wanted me to come down and kind of change things up a little bit, you know? And you sure as fuck did. Yeah. Those photos are great. Um, oh yeah. So I just posted he, those on Instagram, by the way. So if you go to the, 
I, I shared all those portraits like on Instagram just so there's like a direct reference to kind of this story that we're talking about. Yeah, th- those were really, really great. And it, it, so the thing that it just, I just want to reiterate to everybody is just that back in those days, you were going everywhere you could to make this work. Yep. Um, you were doing whatever you could to make the opportunities bear fruit. Well, in the, in the meantime, I was at home shooting weddings, right? Yep. Shooting weddings and shooting like, I mean, anything to anybody, I mean, anything, you know, I mean, obviously like people start shooting photos and they, you know, they get a camera and they want to like use the camera to like meet chicks. And that was like the opposite of like what I did mm-hmm. because I knew that there's like, there's this term out there. Like if you shit where you eat, you're probably not going to eat very <laughs> it's long. Not gonna taste very good. It's not going to taste very good and it's not going to keep happening. So, you know, there's, yeah. there's something about, you know, shooting weddings, uh, being respectable, the scenario, um, you know, there's definitely like opportunities to like ruin a career at a wedding if you, you know, get drunk and do something stupid. So I was, I, it was so fragile to me and so important to me that like, you know, everybody was like happy with my work. Cause I knew that that money would come and then I could take that money and go take a risk with it. And that's all I did. Like was just lowest overhead possible having roommates and taking the money that I made, paid my bills. And then, went wherever I could to, you know, expand the opportunities, you know? When's the last time you had a real job? Oh my God. Um, give me a second. I, you know, back then, you know, I was, I was working, I, I uh, was a pasta chef at a, at a, uh, Italian restaurant here in town called Biagi's at one point. I was like, a, a I was one of my roommates, was running a restaurant called Tim Fish and I was like working as a host and like would wait tables every once in a while. Um, I did some part-time construction stuff with people, um, mostly just carrying shit around and like, you know, doing whatever, you know, odd jobs running, uh, you know, gophering for them, whatever it took. Um, but I can't remember. How long remember. has it been? 10, plus, 12 years, 10, probably 10 mm-hmm. years, probably 10 years. Yeah. At what point did you stop doing that? Like, I- when I didn't were have you time. making enough? Oh, so you were, so basically up until the point where it made no sense. Yeah, photog- photo stuff was just getting in the way of my real job and was putting my real job at jeopardy. But the money that was coming in was pretty much averaged out. It's not like I was, I hadn't like money in the bank after, you know, after I was buying the gear that I needed and like spending money mm-hmm. on traveling, but then, you know, figuring out all the taxes and like figuring out how to like write things off. Yeah. I mean, it kind of turned into this, if I make money here and then I make money here by tax season, I'm kind of screwing myself in certain scenarios. So I need to just quit this quote unquote real job because really it's just kind of eating. If I had more time, I'd be able to shoot more now, mm-hmm. you know? So it's kind of an organic transition where it was, it wasn't like, I'm going to quit this job and hope for the best. It, it kind of, I was working, you know, I was in, I think I was in three bands at that point, like a cover band that would actually make, you know, a lot of people are like, screw cover bands, bro. Cause like, it's not cool to be in a cover band. It's like, yo, I made, they get paid. <laughs> dude, I made like 300 bucks a night in certain scenarios where it's like, you know, if you play, if you play a weekend, you come off at 600 bucks. I mean, I mean, as an individual, I mean, can you do that in a original metal band? Probably not. You know, they got to be pretty big yeah, in right. order to do that. So 
All right. So you waited until the time was right. And I'm, well, my dog is just about to bust open my door. Uh, what up, dog? What up, <laughs> she, dog? She has fi- she's figured out how to open doors now. Oh, she's um, smart. German yeah, Shepherd. Too smart, yes. Uh, you know, people always ask, like, how do I balance this with a real job? How do I get to the point where I can quit my job? And obviously, I don't encourage anybody to destroy their lives. Right, especially if you have kids, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I didn't have any kids. It's not like I had like some crazy, I didn't have like a mortgage and married and like had this epiphany that I was like, man, I think I'm, I think I'm just gonna, I'm just not happy with my normal job. So I think I'm just gonna quit. You know, it wasn't like that at all. I don't think that people should do that, man. I think that it should be a gradual transition and that you should quit your job when it makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and don't, don't do what I did with URM. Like I took a calculated risk because I already knew, like I knew that it would work even, but in most cases you don't totally know, especially at the beginning. So don't screw yourself over while building. Well, sometimes you just kind of have, you know, sometimes people go, I really want to do what you do. And it's like, really? Like, do you really want to do what I do? Because what, what I do like, how many hours a week do you work? And they're like, well, you know, 40 hours a week, you know? And I'm like, well, I work like 65 to 70 hours a week sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. most people don't want to do that. Like, I'll, you know, secrets out, I usually don't want to do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I don't sit back and go, God, can't wait. You know, it's Sunday. Can't wait to, I've had one day off this week, so I can't wait to, like, get back to my 75-hour work week. You know, I mean, it's just, I, I get into a, a mindset of, I have to get this done. Is it stressful? Absolutely. But, you know, but when I talk to these people saying that, you know, they envy what I do, um, and I kind of ask them a few questions. What's your lifestyle like? What do you do? Usually the conversation kind of gets steered into, well, if you really, really, really enjoy photography or music or like whatever it is, what's wrong with like keeping it as a hobby and just like enjoying it? Like, why do you have to turn it into a job? I mean, why can't you just work your, like change the mindset of like, I don't like my job, but it pays the bills and puts money in the bank. Why don't you just be thankful about the fact that your bills are paid and you got money in the bank and then you just enjoy this other thing in its purest, in its pure form, you know, like as a hobby, because I still have hobbies. I'm, there's things that I do to enjoy that I, I have no aspiration at all to be a professional, like golf, I love playing golf. I will never be a professional golfer. <laughs> well, I think that, um, I mean, obviously, if you want to do it, you can't always look at it as a hobby. But sure. I think you're absolutely right that there's a lot of people just see the results mm-hmm. of the hard work. They see that you support yourself off of your your artwork. Um, and I'm just lucky and, as hell. Just lucky. Yeah. It, but people see that and they don't. You know, they don't understand that they don't really understand the decade plus right. that you put in or the hours that you put in or the sacrifices that you made. They see the result. And so sure. by just seeing the result, they think, I envy that. I bet, you know, Alex makes it look easy. Right. Um, That's the goal. That is the goal, but it's not always the reality. Sure. Uh, the reality is, like you said, you still work 65 to 75 hours a week um in my busy time yeah my busy my busy time of the year for sure you know the thing is i think that those people who say they envy 
a certain job or lifestyle, uh, the ones that I've seen actually transition were the ones who had their 40-hour-a-week job and then spent another 40 hours a week developing the hobby into totally. a uh, into a profession. They didn't sit there envying sure. other people. They actually just did the work. Right. And well, and there's something to be said about the, the envy part too, because I mean, <clears throat> like, you know, the art world's full of like envious and jealous, you know, envious people and jealous people. And I mean, obviously, I mean, we've all experienced, uh, you know, you, you it's just, a natural human emotion. I know. Right. And so, but there's something to be said about bringing up the, the subject of conditioning yourself to celebrate other people's success instead of being jealous of them for having it. Absolutely. You know, the, uh, the CEO of Creative Live, I've said this before, but uh, his name, dude named Chase Jarvis. And this oh, is hell yeah. Kind of a, no, I know, of, I know great, Chase great Jarvis. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know him, but I mean, I definitely, I've been you following know, him for a long time. Respect the hell out of him, man. He's killer. He's a killer photographer mm-hmm. and a killer entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. his saying was always, don't hate, congratulate. And even though it's kind of cheesy, it's so true. Yeah. And I've tried to live that way. Um, and because look, I think that it's a natural human thing right. to feel envy and jealousy. Like, But it depends on you, how you channel you it. Come to it. You exactly. can channel but, it, though, you know? But but say that you don't actively channel it. Sure. Like if you're not, if you don't do the work, I think it's the natural thing to feel those feelings. Like sure. it's easy. It's very easy. Right. Um, you have to do the work to be able to take that and turn it into a congratulatory thing or an inspirational thing. And I mean, I remember once when we were not yet, we hadn't yet launched Nail the Mix. And one of someone who does something similar to us, there was an article about how much he made in a month. And I was like, Holy shit. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. um, and Googling the net worth I, of like all these celebrities and all these musicians. No, no, this, and stuff. This, this, no, this was a legit article <laughs> sure. uh, in a, like in a business magazine. And I was like, I wasn't jealous, right. but I was kind of mad. And I wasn't mad that he had it. Um, I was happy that he had it, but I was mad that we, weren't at that level yet that's right. it's totally. not like it's not like i want to take it away from you or sure. you don't deserve it like fuck, yeah you did it but if you did it we should be able to do it too yep. and i'm pissed off that we're not there yet right and the fact that this is even possible means that i'm not going to stop until we're much further than that right and now we are and he's still amazing at what he does and he's got a ton of success and a great dude, but like it, that was one of the times that I can actually remember taking those feelings and morphing them into something positive. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I being completely honest, I never at one point felt he doesn't deserve it or he got lucky or we should have it and not him. It was really just, I'm pissed off because I see the potential now this is real, this is possible and we don't have it. Well, you, you, mo- we you used it there? as a motivational catalyst. Like, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you, you kind of, and I do the same thing, you know, when somebody like has, I, I don't really think that I'm jealous of people's, uh, photography necessarily. Um, it's not even like a jealous thing or envy thing. It's like this, 
how did they get access to that? Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. so my my life isn't really based on like the photos. I mean, if you if you have a good skill set and and you are are confident in that you can produce a quality image in most scenarios, lighting scenarios or like whatever, you know how to use gear to kind of manipulate what you need and blah 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 blah. None of that shit's worth anything if you don't have access to any mm-hmm. of it, you know? And so there's certain times where I'm just like, damn, you know, like why does that person have access to that? And I don't, you know, there's sometimes where like, I see people that have access to certain things and I'm like, God, like if I just had, if I had access to that, like, I just know that I would just clean up. So, but I can't like, you know, I can't like get online and be like, man, you should hire me, man, because like, I'll see what dude's doing. And, uh, you know, like you should, like, you, you don't even know, like if you put me in that scenario, like you don't even know. I, and I think that like, really what, where, where that kind of comes in, if I, I had like, an, people do that. but if I had like an agent or something, like that's where the agent would do, like the agent would be the person like kind of going, Hey, 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 you know, I represent this person. And that's, I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's, but at the same time, you know, I kind of also have trained myself to just go, well, that's theirs. Like I have to make mine. Like that's, I, I'm not going to get access to that. Like that dude is their friend and there's nothing that I can do to be a better friend to those people than that guy is. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I've trained myself. So you, you respect that he carved out that exactly the universe for himself exactly yeah and that's taken and if for somehow like i mean i get an opportunity to do it that that's that's great but at the same time there's absolutely you know i've removed that like i've completely removed because it just wears you out it's just like it wears you out it's it's amazing how it's amazing how much energy p- people put into like jealousy and envy it's incredible man you and if you really, really wanted that position or that access or those types of opportunities, you know, you need to be focused on the task at hand, which right. is net, getting better and networking and all that, right. all the good stuff. If you spend your time on jealousy and envy, like you said, you tire yourself out and you're not focusing on the thing that will actually get you there. Right. And appreciating what you already have, like going on right now, you know, and like, I mean, in, in really trying to do the absolute best with what you have to work with right this second and, mm-hmm. and, and figure, and, you know, just kind of trying to find like a, you know, a positive place in your head, because I mean, it's a hell of a lot easier to like be creative and it's a hell of a lot easier to like be productive when you've got kind of like a, kind of a clean, clean, uh, kind of not clean conscience necessarily, but like just kind of just respecting the fact, you know, respecting your place, like respect where you are right now, respect where they are right now. And just, you know, kick ass where, where you are now and just put 10 more years in, see where you are. You know, I've had that kind of shade thrown at me a lot, like, and the way I see it is so when my band got signed to Roadrunner, there were a lot of bands who were in our area who were like, um, AL's dad bought that record deal or, you know, stuff like that. And it's like, right. you can think that, 
but that is so not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can think that. And then, so those same people, then when I got to Audio Hammer, were just like, oh, he's just riding their coattails, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you can think that, but I worked my way into that. And then, so what are they going to say now with this business that I started? that's crushing it like what someone gave me that too like right yeah it's and those same people are nowhere sure uh their career is in the same exact spot that it was in or in they 2006 quit. or they or quit they, or they quit exactly and um haters disappear is, eventually dude, which is like, so interesting spend, yeah I, I never understood it's like you don't know me you don't know how much work went into this like you're wrong first of all but like why do you even care how about focus on your own skills and your own uh, network and yeah. what you're doing for other people. But you almost have to just channel them opportunities. Well, uh, well, those people though, like 90% of the time, those people, you can't even really have like a, you know, you can't have a conversation about what they need to do. <laughs> you oh, know no, what I mean? Of course not. Because <laughs> they're like, you know, obviously they already know what they need to do and that's what they're doing. And that's what they're going to keep doing and that's fine. And I'm going to just keep doing what I do, you know? And when it comes down to Doth, dude, like, I mean, anybody that saw that band knew that that band was badass. I mean, it's just kind of a given. I mean, you know, the times that I got to see and got to share stage with you guys even, you know, I mean, it was like, so, it's so motivating. Like, I mean, uh, in, worked hard. And what's so cool about those, those times too, where it's like none of that shit had anything to do with money at all. Like it had nothing no. to do with money. And it had to do with, uh, you know, the respect of your peers and like the same kind of thing, you know? And like, you know, and my goal was when we got those opportunities to play those dates with you guys, my goal every single night was to put on a performance that made you guys want to get on stage and absolutely like crush everybody. You know what I'm saying? Well, so, you know, and what by contrast to what I was talking about earlier right back in those days when we met you guys for instance um and we were just signed and you guys weren't signed you guys didn't give us any of that shade no you never gave us the oh did Roadrunner buy your gear kind of comments like back in those days we would get when we did those tiny tours sure uh like a lot of the bands would be like Oh, did, did Roadrunner buy you those racks? It's like, no, actually, I recorded some bands. Right. And then instead of putting that money in my pocket, I bought the band some gear. Or or also, uh, actually, I took out a loan, and I'm going to have to pay this back eventually. But uh, Well, there's something you know. to be said, though. Like, what I like to do <laughs> is when people have these assumptions, like uh, when they're presumptuous towards, like, what they think like how I got whatever I got, I like to play into that. So if, you know, if it would have been me, if they'd be like, Hey man, did Roadrunner like buy those racks for you? I'd be like, yeah, man, get signed to Roadrunner, bro. Like everything's taken care of. It's crazy. Like all I drink is Fiji water now, bro. It's sick. They send it to me by the case. Rockstar energy drink. I mean, I Man, get if it. I got signed, if I got signed now, I, I get, get cases. them to send me Voss, cases of Voss sparkling. So, uh, <laughs> If you're like most producers, you're dialing drum sounds the old-fashioned way by trial and error, swapping out drums, heads, and mics until you finally find something that works, oftentimes for several exhausting and tedious days. Sound familiar, right? I know I have spent up to a week 
getting drum sounds in the past before I knew some of this stuff. So guess what? It doesn't have to be so painful. Ultimate Drum Production is our brand new course that teaches you the scientific method for dialing in the perfect drum sound on the very first try. Exactly, the first try, not the hundredth try. It explains in extreme detail the sonic character of every single component of drum sound with exhaustive profiles of every kind of drum head, shell material, bearing edge and hoop, as well as ridiculously detailed tutorials on mic selection, placement and room choice, editing, and mixing. And when you understand drum tone at such a fundamental, insanely deep level, it's like having a set of tone Legos you can use to easily build the sound you hear in your head. You don't need to guess and check. You just assemble the building blocks however you want. To find out more and get access to exclusive pre-order pricing, head over to ultimatedrumproduction.com slash pre-order, and we'll see you in class. Well, it's crazy, though, because, I mean, you know, most bands, most bands didn't realize that once you, you know, they, you know, make getting a record deal, right? It's like, oh, I made it. Did you? Wait, I don't think you're going to make, are you going to make a cent until you have your fifth record out? You know, I mean, they don't realize that it's kind of like, you know, it's like, I, 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 I own a house. Okay. I bought a house, mm-hmm. which is killer. Did I pay for it in cash? No, you know what I'm saying? So when you get signed to a, a, a record label, it, I mean, it didn't, wouldn't you consider like a record label, like the bank and like you, it's you, like the bank and really it's just the beginning of sure. really, it's just a continuation right. of the hustle. And it actually gets a lot harder when you first get signed because not only are you unknown, but sure. you're unknown and there's a ton of pressure on you. And that's when you really discover if you know, if you got what it takes and it's, I mean, no have you made it though? I mean, have you made it like whenever you get no. first get no. signed? Right. And, and really doth never made it sure. in my opinion. Um, so at being signed for years, doing all those tours, we never actually made it. We never. And that was a crazy you know, time too, because I mean, it was literally like, I mean, the record, the music industry literally went from, I mean, if you were signed in like 2001, 2002, you probably had an opportunity to like get out there like when there's still a little bit of money left to go around. Well, well, we got a really good deal. I think we were on the tail end of labels like Roadrunner putting a lot of money into something stupid like a death metal band. Um, (laughs) So we had a good ride, but I mean, even with the good ride, like we didn't make it. It never caught on big. We never made any money. Sure. And eventually had to move on. Like, well, that's on the new. labels, though. They, the labels kind of had to figure out what to do at that point, too. Because, I mean, I remember kind mm-hmm. of uh, the point of one significant meeting that you and I attended together at one point. Like, I mean, the, the main discussion was, what the hell is everybody going to do now that everything's completely different? You know, I mean, everything yeah. was totally different at this. I mean, I just remember this one point where it was like, I mean, it's not the same anymore. Like, you're not going to be Motley Crue anymore. You know, I mean... No, but you know what? You might not be that, but there, man, I know some people in some bands who are doing well, and the bands are doing well, and they are crushing it right. financially. Oh, now, and, yeah. But it's because they, you know, they know how to work the business and they've adapted. So like, and they put the 10 we years, having, they put the 10 years in too. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, of course. But they, they're not just doing the stuff that you would have had to do in 2003 to make money as a musician. They're doing the stuff in 2018 right. that you have to do. But back to my original point was sure, sure. 
you guys never gave me that shade. You never gave me that shade. If anything, you were always like really positive, yeah, congratulatory, encouraging, and cool. And so that is actually one of the reasons that I kept in touch with you. Yeah, and it was cool to give you a shot photographing my band and all that because you were the kind of person that I like to be around. Someone that's totally doing their own thing, uh, who's really really good at their own thing. And who does not have that jealousy thing. Doesn't, so doesn't I, want to I, bring baggage to the table. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. I can talk about my aspirations around someone like you and not worry that you're going to hate me by the end of the conversation <laughs> just because I dream big sure. or something like that. And so because of that, you know, like that's what led to me actually answering messages from you right. a year later and like being cool to have you come to my house and right. all that, yeah. all that stuff. Meet your family which, and everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, exactly. And it's a trip. My whole, I mean, you know, as a photographer, it's like my whole philosophy now, it's like, is it, is my philosophy based on, I want to shoot some photos so I can make a lot of money. And it's like, not really. Like, I mean, honestly, my, my goal in life up to this point now is if you are willing to have me contribute to whatever you're trying to do, my goal is to create something that is going to help you. Like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. because, because if it doesn't really help you, then I feel like the money you gave me is kind of like tainted. Almost, you know, like I don't like it when people sign checks and aren't happy. Like I'd like it whenever they're like sign the check and go, oh man, you know, like this is great. Can't wait to do this again. You know what I mean? Like that's my philosophy is like create something. And I'm lucky to be in a, in a, in a position to create something that can really nowadays, especially with like the content, you know, the content is king world that we live in. I mean, content is king now. Like you have to produce content in order to like stand out as a business or a band or whatever. But, um, you know, my main goal really is to like contribute like a positive, um, piece in order for that, that entity, whatever it is to be able to kind of propel themselves forward. Absolutely. And if you do that, then there's a, there's a lot of great stuff that comes of it. First of all, the experience is great. Right. But then that's what leads to the experience, not just having been, one moment in time and right. it's over. Even if you never work with that person again, they talk to people. Sure. And they um, might not need and, me to do anything else. Like, I mean, yeah. sometimes like I show up and I do exactly what they need to do and that's all they will ever need. And mm -hmm. that's cool. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's always cool to get, you know, rehired and like, you know, time passes and they need new fresh imagery or, or whatever they need. But, um, yeah, it's never going into it. Like, you know, I just don't take jobs. I don't want to take. Yeah. But you know, like, I think that the, the thing about make, making other people's life better, giving them the thing that they could use to propel themselves forward, regardless of if it equals a booking in the future, just because you, that's what you do. Just making that a habit, making that your mindset that I'm going to make, right. I'm going to, this situation is going to be better. I'm going to walk out of it with a better situation than when I walked in. That's kind of what we try to do for our students as well. Sure. And uh, that I think is what really, really works. And I think that it also leads to a lot of fulfillment on the job. Absolutely. Which is what 
leads to being able to still do 75 hour work weeks yeah. a decade or more into it. So like these things are not just important for financial reasons. They're important for um, fulfillment reasons. And right. that's important to not so that you don't burn out. Right. Because let's face it, no matter unless, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. If you play your cards right somehow, maybe maybe you can become a millionaire and retire. Right. But like, you know, that's not I don't think that like we're doing what we do so that we can uh, stop doing it right. at 40 or something. I think the idea is that people like us always want to keep doing stuff, pushing it further. But if you're not being fulfilled, if you're not creating a positive change in people's lives and your own, then, yeah, you can reach that burnout stage. If you reach that sure. burnout bitter stage or everything's the same all the time, you're not going to have the energy right. to keep putting in the work right. that's required to keep things Evolving. Well, and, so, and if you're lucky to get to that 75 hour work week, you know, scenario, but like, you know, it sucks when you, if you're making, you know, if you're working 75 hours and you're the, the principal amount of money's not coming in to keep the, there's something about money that's motivating. You know what I'm saying? Like money definitely oh, yeah. like motivates you to do the mundane things that it takes to do what we do to be able to complete projects. And, and, and it's interesting once you get to that, if you're lucky enough to get to the 75 hour work weeks, you know, hopefully it's not 365 days a year, but, um, you get to that point. What's interesting is that you're constantly working, which means mon money is like constantly coming in, but then you have to constantly be, I think I listened to your podcast about, uh, the, your intern, like turning in, into a job. Who, Nick? Yeah, that was a cool podcast. We've, we've had a few different podcasts with uh, do intern guys who have... You know, right, I think it's the most recent one. Probably the most recent one. Nick. Yeah, the most recent one, I think. Yeah, and so, but then there was like, I think it was discussed about like infrastructure and like investing in infrastructure and like, you know, the fact that just because you have this gear now and like you're working and you're making good money and like, you know, you're hoarding money and you're not spending it on growing the infrastructure of your, your business. I mean, I'm, you know, cameras nowadays do the cost like 3,500 to $5,000, you know, each lens that I, I use is 2,500 to $2,700. You know what I'm saying? Like a, the flashes mm -hmm. that I use are $400 a piece. I mean, it just gets ridiculous, you know, I mean, not really ridiculous, but when you're first starting, if you think that way, it gets crazy. But once you get to a point where you're like maintaining all of this, it's kind of interesting how like, you don't have to think about the money. You're not, when you can disconnect yourself from thinking about the money and you can literally just focus on doing the best job possible and like creating a product for your clients that really help them. That's when, you know, a, a big weight kind of lifts and it kind of turns into being able to be positive all the time about it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're, you're kind of giving your, a piece of yourself to this person, then it's not really about the money anymore. It's just kind of like, this is how much my time, this is how much it costs for my time to be dedicated to you. And funny enough, when you reach that point, uh, uh, that's also when the money starts to really get better too. Sure. Well, sometimes, well, what's real crazy though, if it, you can also get to a point where, you know, you're trying to invest in an infrastructure and you made more money, like last year was my best year ever. But I also spent 
a significant amount of money on gear and lenses and like whatever to make sure and computers and hard drives, dude. God, it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Like that hard drives oh, and storage space. I know. <laughs> hard drives and storage space is my bane of my existence. And so, you know, you get to this point where you're like, wow, I made more money than I've ever made, like on paper. And then you look at like your actual profit and it's pretty similar to where it had been, but mm-hmm. your whole luckily, you know, all of my gear is like pretty much new now. So now I can, I just, I know that I can keep working and there's a peace of mind going on in there too. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I mean, that's very similar to how we operate. Um, you know, as soon as we started really growing, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, we, we all, we take care of ourselves. Of course, we need to be living well sure. in order to be able to keep working as hard as we do, but we could be taking home a lot more than we do. But instead we decided we're going to build an amazing team. We try to keep giving them raises whenever possible. And we're going to keep on, we're going to buy better gear. We're going to keep upping the production value. We're going to put on the URM summit, which cost us a shitload of money. Um, Yeah. I saw that you guys put that on recently. uh, It went great. That's awesome. we're, we're going to invest in these things that are going to make people's lives better and also make it so that we can keep doing this at a higher level and higher level. Sure. And Same here. While, yeah, while it is important for us to make money on a personal level, like I said, we could be taking home a lot more than we are. Right. Um, but then that were, that would make me nervous that by doing that, we'd be shortening the the lifespan of the business, but right. we won't be able to keep evolving. So I think, I mean, I think that that's just what you got to do. It's a constant balancing act, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, constantly it's like the more money you make, the more decisions you have to make, the more, you know, more expectations you have to manage expectations. Right. Like, I mean, we have a few yes. of those now, <laughs> a lot more um, than we used to have. <laughs> not just expectations, man, but at this point, at least for us, like, um, we're responsible for the livelihood of lots of people. Now. See, I'm not there yet. Like, I'm not really like, I'm not really like employing people like that. So yeah, I mean, I, I do take that into account where I think my goal, you know, my, I was talking to my, my girl about this the other day and you know, my, my next goal is to put myself in a position to employ people and like be able to, you know, and teach people and like show them how to do this, you know, do this thing that I'm doing to, ultimately contribute to the greater good of the people that are around them. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, if there's more people that can create, you know, better, uh, in my case, like better imagery, better video, better, like whatever, that means that all the businesses around me, like in Evansville, uh, and then hopefully like regional and then wherever myself and these other people end up, it increases their value as well. And it's just nice to see, it's nice to see when people are doing well. I, I mean, I really like, absolutely. I like it. I like seeing people doing well and I don't like seeing people not doing well. I never look at, I never look at people not doing well and go, ha ha ha. Well, I'm glad I'm not them. I mean, you know, it's just crazy. It's like, I mean, it bums me out to see people not, not that I can do anything about most of it, but at the same time it is, you know, in the back of my head, it's just really nice to see when people are doing doing well. That's, that's motivating to me and knowing that, you know, they're doing all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I know that like, 
uh, you know, I stay up at night thinking about this, but I want the people who work for us, uh, you know, you know, obviously we're still a growing company. We can't pay as much as I'd like to, but we are paying a lot of people. Well, we are some people's entire living and mm-hmm. that changes the game completely because yeah. um, now it's not just about me, Joey and Joel. Now we have now, you know, if we fuck up. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of people whose lives they won't be ruined, but like, you know, going to be affected significantly, going to be affected significantly. And, uh, it's a big responsibility and I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I want to make their lives the same passion I have for, uh, you know, with our students, I, I want our goal is to train the next generation of all your professionals. Totally. I want like the, the future Andy Sneeps to have come from our school and stuff. Right. But I want the same for our employees, man. I want them to, you know, I want them to have huge careers of their own once they're done working for us. Or if they go with us all the way, that's great too. But I want them to have great lives. Um, sure. So we've been talking for a while. Yeah. And I do have some questions from our listeners. Oh, forward. snap. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. We've covered everything that I had wanted to discuss with you, but uh, they have some questions too. That's awesome, man. Bring it. So here's one from Gustavo Rodriguez Jr. I saw Alex Morgan and immediately thought U.S. Women's National Soccer <laughs> Player. Haha, <laughs> yep. sorry. No, Wrong that's Alex. perfect. <laughs> but hey, awesome photography. Not sure if this gets covered by the time questions are asked, but what was your first mover opportunity that really got your foot in the industry? It seems that you're a versatile photographer. So how did you make all those connections between working with bands to doing weddings? I guess we did kind of cover that, but... Sure. No, I can touch on that. Wow. Actually, okay. the uh, female soccer player thing is hilarious. Um, I remember talking to you back in the day when I was like talking, uh, I was like, what should I call what should I call? I was going by something like strict nine productions or something like that at one point. Oh yeah. And I was I think like, I told you to ditch that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was like, I, I knew that I needed to find something a little bit more, you know, significant to the direction I was trying to go. And you were like, just go by, just go by your name. And I was like, what do you mean? And you're like, yeah, just alexmorgan.com. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, that's cool. And then I looked, looked up Alex Morgan photography and somebody in Scotland was like that already. And so I decided on Alex Morgan imaging. So I did the Alex Morgan imaging, got an LLC, set up my accounts, like set up a URL, ended up getting a website. About two years later, Alex Morgan, the female soccer player, wins a gold medal and she completely, absolutely devastated my SEO. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and so uh, that's just been kind of like this interesting thing that I've been juggling back and forth. And the funniest thing about that is the fact that recently, um, poor girl, I don't, I don't mean to, to bring it up and rub any mud in her face, but she got kicked out of Epcot, like for getting drunk and like mouthing off to a cop because like she lives in Orlando and went out and you know how everybody goes drinks around the world at Orlando mm-hmm. uh, at Epcot. I guess she like mouthed up to a cop and got kicked out and made headlines. So I got probably 30 emails from everybody from dudes in cannibal <laughs> to like some of the, you know, political people and like whatever, like joking with me going, dude, Alex, chill out, bro. You need to, you need to start behaving, man. got to quit getting kicked out of Disney, bro. You know, just, and it was cool. Cause like everybody kind of thought about me and like reached out and it was, it was kind of interesting. So it's funny that you bring that up, but, um, man, there's, you know, wet, okay. Wedding photography. <clears throat> haven't really talked about that much. 
Um, and you know, weddings are something that's uh, really easy to specialize in, uh, being a photographer just because the money's pretty good. And, um, I take it, I take my payments in thirds. So I get a deposit a, sometimes like a year in advance. So I'll get a third it, of those. It's kind of like the equivalent of cover band stuff. Right. Well, let's not necessarily just because cover bands, I mean, you're, you're learning like in a cover band, you're kind of learning material that's already been created. So you're just kind of like learning it. So like weddings are, people want to have this stigma of like, Oh, he's just a wedding photographer or like, no, 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 no. That, that's, that's what I mean. Right. And that there's like some people, you're right. It's not that cool. The stigma. But like right. it's actually really cool because you're fucking, you're up there doing it. it. You're up there, there doing, doing it. it. And, and you're, you're getting, getting paid. paid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And so, uh, but at the same time, you got to understand, um, of all the jobs that I've mentioned, what is the most pressure? What is the most significant? Like, what's what's the one thing that you can do as a photographer to completely ruin your career? Screwing up a wedding. Either screwing up a wedding or like having a hard drive fail and losing a wedding or like, you know, going out and going, hey, yeah, I can shoot weddings. And you go and cut everybody's heads off and like everything's out of focus. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> a make it or break it kind of deal. I've been doing them for 15 years, so I'm lucky. Um, I've had some, I've had a few hiccups, but I mean, that's what happens when you've been doing it for anything for 15 years and you do your best to, you know, do your best to give them what you can and whatever. But I've luckily never lost a wedding. I've never like ruined a wedding, you know, and, but I'll be honest with you, bro. Like that right there is, it's still on my mind every single time I shoot a wedding. It's a 12 hour day. It's more volume photography wise than any other job that I'm ever going to do. And now I only take 10 a year and I probably, you know, I mean, in the last 15 years, I've probably been to, you know, easily 300 plus weddings. I mean, how many weddings mm. have, has the normal person been to? And they're like, oh, I've been to 20, man. I've, I've been to so many weddings. It's like, well, you I've know, been, I've, I've been to two. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so like, no wedding photography, um, it's a, it was like my training ground, uh, high pressure, um, you know, it's, I'm working with, I'm working with normal people, which I, I enjoy. Um, it's not like I'm working with like models that had, you know, like I'm not working with like handpicked models. Like I'm working with, you know, people like everyday people that are in love with each other. And it's the biggest day of their life. And it's the most, and it's the happiest day of their life, hopefully. And, um, up to that point, unless they've already had a kid and usually that's the happiest day of their life. But anyway, um, you know, that kind of trained me for this kind of significant amount of pressure that like some of these other jobs happen. And so the, the weddings were what kind of established me and put money in my pocket to be able to take these risks. So if you don't, and a lot of people do, they won't touch them. They're just like, no way in hell am I shooting weddings? Like too much pressure. I'm terrified. I don't want to, you know, and, and as a wedding photographer, I have to get out there in front of 200 people and go, all right, everybody, all 200 people get up. All right, cool. We got to run through this and blah, blah, blah. So I'm pretty much directing their wedding. Right. Mm -hmm. So it takes kind of like, you know, male and female, alike, uh, I'm going to use a, uh, I'm just going to use like a general term, but it takes a little, it, it takes some, some balls to get up there and take the opportunity and deal with the pressure and get up there and just make it happen. Right. But yeah, you know, figuratively speaking at a male standpoint, but and, like, and uh, let me just ingumption. say that, like, I, re I remember with like, uh, either the concealers or some photo shoot before that, we, 
had no budget. We had like 500 bucks. Right. Which I know for doing a whole album worth of photos plus all the outdoor promo shots and all that, that's like not what well, I had photographers charge. I, I hadn't established but, that yet either. Like I hadn't established that pricing. But the, the point is though that like because of the weddings, right? like you said, you were able to be like, cool, 500 bucks is fine yeah. and, and just pay for my gas. Like, and so that you could take that opportunity and sure. advance yourself without, you know, with, if you were relying on the bands to pay your bills, sure. uh, it, you would have been a very different scenario. The weddings are what gave you the freedom yeah man and to and, be able to pursue that and i'm lucky to have had them and the thing is is like sometimes i'll get into these conversations with people and they'll say like well you know i didn't think that you liked doing weddings it's like it's not that i don't like doing weddings i do like doing weddings like it the thing is is that the pressure which i'm you know i used to not be able to sleep before a wedding the night before I just be like, where am I going to take them to take pictures? What am I going to do? Like, what, I mean, what are they going to look like? And like, what's the dress going to look like? And I wonder if they're going to kiss before the ceremony or after the ceremony. But, and you know, I know I just like drive myself crazy, but now I just, I can kind of go on autopilot, but at the same time, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, um, you guys discussed, uh, in one of your podcasts, like about flow state. Yes. Okay. So like flow state is like kind of a state of mind where, uh, you know, it's kind of the concept of, uh, being in the military and like you go through all your drills and you go through basic training. And then, you know, uh, you know, one of my friends was a Marine. He saw like five tours and, you know, I mean, by his fifth tour, like he could just go to sleep anytime and like wake up and do what he had to do. And they describe that as like, you know, a flow state where you just, you're just programmed, you go into like autopilot. That's kind of what Mm -hmm. I do now with, with weddings. I just kind of, nothing's going to be perfect and you can't control anything. You go into it. Like you just accept the fact that it might rain today. And if it rains today, I'm just going to have to figure something out. And I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'll just figure it out, you know? And so you trust, you trust, you trust yourself right to be able to handle it and that so comes that, i think that comes I with experience big. big deal yeah and so um and i'm lucky to have the experience to be able to put myself in that situation but yeah i mean so when people say like i, I didn't think you liked wedding it's just like no 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 the only person that can actually understand where i'm coming from is another wedding photographer because they're the only person that understands that shooting a wedding is the most exhausting po- thing that you can do as a photographer. And I mean, you, you, you put a 12, you put 12 hours. The first time my girl came, she, I'm so lucky that she comes to all of my, she comes to all the weddings with me now. It's awesome. And, uh, she gets, you know, she gets paid to be there. She's, I consider her a professional person to be there that handles things that I need handled. She's awesome with people too. And so, um, the first wedding she ever did with me, we came back and we we're just like sitting in our room, just kind of like, out of our mind, exhausted kind of, you know? And, uh, Mm -hmm. she's like, I don't envy your job at all. That was, (laughs) that was the most intense thing ever, you know? And, 
And it was nice that she recognized that. And like the only other people that I know of that, that can, that understand that are my other friends that shoot weddings. I mean, and I, I know, you know, I just want to like, you know, post on Facebook all the time. I, I never do, but I want to post like shout out to my wedding photographers. Cause you know, you can feel my pain, but it's not like, <laughs> it's not like this pain that I don't like the wedding. It's just that like you give all of yourself, you literally are giving all of yourself and your soul and your being to these people all day long. And all you're hoping for is that a, a good result comes out and you want them to be happy with it. You know? So that's a lot of pressure. It, se- it seems to me like the, that discipline and ability to handle pressure that you developed under weddings also, um, yes. Not o- I mean, not only did the did it financially make it so that you could take risks on bands and cool photo shoots and stuff, but right. it seems like it also like gave you the I guess grit or um, it's a good particular fortitude to be able to get into weird situations yeah. and, and pull shit off like random, shit off. random, yeah. random scenarios with like not ideal circumstances. And like, uh, you know, like your situation, like with the, with the concealers portraits, it was like, so what are we going to do? And it's like, I don't know. And it's like, oh shit. And then finally we just kind of came to like, had an epiphany moment and then we just rolled with it. And everybody, what was cool is like, everybody wanted it to work so much. Like, so everybody's on the same page that mm-hmm. we all kind of, we all pulled it. Cause if you guys were a bunch of like whiny ass, like complainers, like through the whole process and you're like, what the hell am I sitting there? And why are you sticking this? Why are you sitting this stupid fog machine in my face? Like, I don't, I don't like this fog machine. God, you know, it would have made the process so much more, you know, taxing, you know, but yeah. we, we had fun with it and we were all like open-minded and like, we really created some shit that like, was killer, you know? And, and you know, the other thing to that, going back to that question, it's like, how did you get from, you know, the weddings to like shooting bands and blah, blah, blah. Well, it just so happened that I'm a musician too. So, I mean, that, that goes back to the earning the respect of my peers thing, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, and, and musicians tend to feel comfortable around other people that get it. And like, yeah. since I'm a drummer, I mean, I can watch a band and I know what that part, like when the downbeat's coming up, I know that person's going to jump off the the speakers or I know that person's going to flip their hair back. I have a shot of Tom Araya before he got his, in Slayer, before he got his neck fused together and like he, he's flipping his hair back. You know what I'm saying? And being a drummer makes me understand when those motions and those moments are possibly going to happen. So I'm aware of those situations. So that's why I, I became really good at, at photographing uh, live music, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, and then the rest of it just turned, what, what's funny is like the rest of it just kind of turned into people knowing that I was versatile. And then it turned into people going, Oh shit, you got pictures of Marilyn Manson, like on your, on your, uh, on your website. Uh, my kid likes Marilyn Manson. I have a car dealership. Can you do a commercial? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> sure. You know, and so, uh, yeah, it just kind of turns into the, you know, I, 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 I'm lucky enough. Snowballs. To, yeah. Yeah. And I'm lucky enough to like maybe shoot subject matter that people, I mean, dude, I did, I worked with cannibal down in Nashville a couple weeks ago and like a month ago. And then I had a phone call from a big insurance company that I was getting ready to do the work like two days later, work with them two days later. And when I'm at 
the insurance company doing production for them. They queue up like Hannibal's website and they show like everybody. They're like, look, he, he works with this band. This band was on Ace Ventura at Pet Detective. It's like, oh, I've seen Ace Ventura at <laughs> Pet Detective. That's really, really cool. You know, it kind of turns into this funny, I don't know. Like, I mean, I can work with Cannibal Corpse and I can work with like a big time financial firm. It's kind of a, you know, I mean, it's lucky. I'm just lucky what it boils down to, but it's uh, just making- I would say fortunate, not lucky. Fortunate. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Cause you have- I put the time know, in, you know what I'm saying? You put the time in. So here's a question from Anthony Potenza. I've followed Alex for the last few years and he's a badass. <laughs> when Thanks, you bro. get a, yeah, Anthony's cool, by the way. Um, was one of our best students. But uh, when you get a band that contacts you for photos, what do you look to create in their image and what do labels look for to make a band look like a professional band in their promo photos? Oh shit. All right. So it's funny. This is a, this is a, that's a good question. That is a really good question. Um, I don't think they know. <laughs> Let's just start there. Um, I think the, the standard, uh, the standard is uh, everything needs to be in focus. <laughs> you know, because sometimes they work with people that they deliver shit that's not in focus. And then, you know, um, it, it's a trip because what I end up getting, like a spec sheet that I end up getting is I need 10 photos that are vertical and 10 photos that are horizontal. And then I need individual portraits and I need individual portraits of people looking at the camera, not looking at the camera. Um, you know, so it kind of turns into kind of a check sheet of like, do I have, so if I do 10 if I need 10 verticals and 10 horizontals, does that mean 10 locations? Cause like I've only, you only got me for, it's not me that I'm usually working with a band in the middle of their record cycle, like in the beginning of the record cycle. So they're usually in the studio. So their brains like mm -hmm. not in photo mode, especially the first time I've ever worked with them. Uh, working mm -hmm. with Gojira on the road was awesome because they just had, you know, time, time off and they're just kind of like hanging out before a show. And, you know, they weren't like, I just finished, I'm in the middle of tracking guitars and now I have to take this day off to like stand there and get my photo taken. You know what I mean? So I kind of have to roll with where people's brains are in those certain scenarios. But, um, the difficulty I think is just finding the locations because the budget's not there in this particular genre that I usually work in to you know, call somebody and be like, Hey, will you scout? Like I need 10 locations. Can you go scout this? Like here's, here's a grand to like spend the next two weeks, like finding locations or build, mm -hmm. build this for me or like whatever. So I have to find all these organic locations. And what's really interesting about this question in particular is the fact that when I go down to Tampa and work with the bands down there, you know, I work with Hate Eternal and I work with Cannibal and, you know, Cannibal, you know, Tampa is like the Mecca of like American death metal, which means that these bands and these bands have been successful for around 30 years, you know, and Rutan's, mm -hmm. Rutan was in Morbid Angel and Morbid Angel kind of, you know, stakes claim to, uh, to oh, Tampa yeah. too, you know? So all these bands have been, you know, been photographed everywhere for the last 30 years in Tampa. And so when I get flown to Tampa to do new promo, it's like, Oh my God, like, what am I going to find that like, hasn't been already like, you know, everything in Ebor is tapped. Like everything here is tapped. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I kind of want to just get to a point where I like put them on the beach and be like, here, just let your hair blow. And like, let's put a beach in the background, which I actually did with battle cross back in the day. <laughs> I but, remember those. Yeah. Those are good photos. Yeah. It turned out that they're still using that, uh, that one of those shots. But, um, 
Yeah. It's like the labels don't, they just kind of like hire me based on my portfolio, I guess. And just trust that I'm going to like pull something out of my ass, I think really. And th that's how it feels like sometimes. Cause it's not like I have a team of people going out there and putting it all to, you know, it's not like Nickelback where it's like, you know, they've got like the budget for a location. They got budget for wardrobe. They got a budget for, yeah. you know, well, all this. Correct, other. Me if I, correct me if I'm wrong though. Um, like say that it's a local band gotcha. that you're shooting. Okay. Like, so right here, the 30 year old bands, they know how to pose. Exactly. They've been doing it for a long time. Yep. But, uh, what about when you're dealing with, uh, people who, don't know how to be on camera like like i know for instance doth photos like right for the, the concealer shoots we were really used to it by then and even the ones that we did in evansville with you right like, we were used to it and knew how to stand and so those photos all came out great we actually did some but, photos in princeton indiana like where i went to high school at, at the uh, old rubber plant oh, over there at yeah. mid-state and that was like that was kind of like my ultimate location that i always wanted to use so Dude, anyway the, but we were comfortable and we knew how to pose but like i think that if you look at our photos from like 2006 like right like band photos you could almost tell that we were uncomfortable and that we also had a good photographer back then. Sure. So, so I think what he means is, how do you get a band that it wants to be a pro band, but they're not there yet? Right. Haven't been to a million photo shoots. Right. How, what do you look for to try to make them look like a real band? Um. Yeah. So part of that's like uh, sometimes you know I'll show up. That's a good question. Okay. So like if you're, if you're in a, what we call baby band, right. You know, you just started, um, you've got minimal experience and you've got this like kind of visual, unfortunately there's a lot of, uh, I think a lot of musicians that kind of in the beginning, they don't take uniformity or like any kind of, uh, like wardrobe, like into consideration. They're like, yo man, like, I don't care. Like I'm, I woke up like this and this is how I dress, bro. Like I wear, I wear like, I've got a white t-shirt. It's got a stain on it. I've got my yeah, camo but, you know, shorts. But, but dude, there's another side of that coin too. Like I'm sure you've seen the local bands that dress up too much sure. and it looks Depends on the genre. Depends almost. on the genre. Yeah. Depends on like what they're going for. Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, it just kind of depends. I mean, it depends on like what kind of uh, brand, like how do you want to brand yourself? You know, Doth was like this, Doth had a serious mystique associated with it, you know? So your mystique was very dark, very, um, uh, I'm trying to think. It's it just kind of, it was very dark, but it wasn't like black metal, but it wasn't like, I didn't really consider you guys death metal. You know what I'm saying? No. I mean, there was like, you know, the, the kind of drumming was in death metal or whatever. But so you guys, I think what I got from you guys is that you wanted to come off cl as clean. You wanted, to, you wanted to look clean. Like you wanted to, not like showered clean necessarily, but yeah, I mean, start there. You know what I mean? Take a shower. <laughs> uh, no, but you know, they, the, the whole branding system and you kind of had it down. Like, I mean, you had, uh, was it Jordan Haley? Is that what, is that who's yes. doing your, your, yeah. And so, and he does, um, uh, bird of prey. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And he's been doing, um, some work with Nurgle, I think with, uh, behemoth. I think he's like rock designing clothes now or something, but like good Jordan was a really killer, like 
or still is obviously, but like a really cool, like killer graphic designer and just artist in general. And so it was like pairing my, I had to figure out a way to like pair these images of you guys that worked with his graphic design. So like if I get an opportunity to see what I'm working with as far as the designer, that's killer, which is insanely rare because confidentiality is so significant with like bigger bands. Um, can I don't well, even know. Well, you know, you know, what's interesting about what you're saying is the, our photos, once we decided Jordan's our guy mm -hmm. and to get that brand thing happening, right. Um, our photos also started to get better sure. because like, because of that. But before we had, um, Jordan helping with the branding and, you know, when we were just going with like whatever artists the label found and right. whatever photographer, that's when things were all over the place. Right. Yeah. Like we had to kind of figure out what we were about. Exactly. And that's, that's when our photos started to get a lot better. And so I feel like a lot of these local bands don't know what they're no. about yet. And uh -uh. so and there's like not much I can do the, about that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I mean, they kind of have to find themselves, you know, it's easy, it's easier, like, it's definitely easier with a band that's already been branded and already been like, kind of, you know, kind of found some kind of cohesion between their mystique, their message, their, their logo and like their stage performance and then like their stage production, you know, um, you know, Pantera is like one of those bands that just dime could roll out of bed in like a sleeveless mm -hmm. vest and like camo cut off camo pants and like his chucks and his pink beard and looked awesome. You know, I mean, he just always, he just looked that part, but you can't try to look like that and p usually pull it off. Like he just wasn't trying to look like he just was that, you know? So mm -hmm. the goal is like to kind of put people in a position where they don't look like they're trying real hard. So sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll work with like a baby band and they'll stand there and they'll have their, 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 you know, fist clenched in their, their glare face, but they've got like a baby face and they're like young, you know what I mean? And so like 10 years, <laughs> but 10 years from now in your career, you might be able to pull that off. But like right then you almost have to like, I, I mean, a good example is uh, August Burns Red, you know, like those dudes mm -hmm. don't like try to put on the, the hardness. I mean, dude, Black Dolly Murder, right? It's like, you kind of, you got to kind of find if you're lucky to work with a band that kind of knows who they are and are comfortable with being who they are, then it, it, it makes it a lot easier. And sometimes, you know, you have that kind of standoff person, that one person in the shot that just doesn't fit the look, but their talent's like amazing. And then, so you just kind of have to like balance that. And then, you know, the first time you work with them, they see the photos and hopefully that one person goes, oh shit, like I really need to like think about this next time <laughs> you, you know it's a lot like when a band goes into the studio with a producer like if the band goes in not having a direction not having lots of skills and they're just kind of all over the place right you know unless the producer just takes over right and does everything for them sure. it's gonna be really really tough it's gonna be tough to get something amazing because you know, you're not giving the person you're hiring a lot to work with. So I would suggest for Anthony, if he's talking about his own band here or suggesting things to bands, before you hire someone like Alex to come make you look like an amazing band, try to have like 10 photo shoots yeah. where like someone does it for free. Sure. And like start to just see what you guys look like and... um Oh man, that's such a, you brought up analyze a perfect, it. you brought up a perfect thing that just sparked in my head. If per, if people don't know what they look like on camera, 
like a professional model has so much experience in front of camera that they know what they look like every time they move and shift mm-hmm. and do their whatever. Like they know exactly what they're going to look like. Like an like a seasoned actor knows exactly what their facial expression is going to look like. They know exactly what their voice is going to sound like. They know exactly how, if they walk this way and talk this way and, you know, turn on the swagger, turn off the swagger. I mean, if you've never been photographed before, you're not going to have any clue and, you, and it's going to be up to me. I'm going to have to take over, which is fine. But what you just brought up, do 10 photo shoots and be in front of the camera and get the, that weirdness like out of you where you're like, you feel weird in front of the camera, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it, you just kind of have to, I mean, it's not, I'm not always going to work with band, like, you know, experienced people. And that's totally, that's totally cool. I mean, weddings are a perfect example of that. You know what I'm saying? Like when I shoot a wedding, it's not like these people have been photographed their whole life. Like this is their first time they've ever been photographed. So I have to put well, these. I, I know that, that you've told me though, that sometimes like you'll have a bride or something who um, wants you to make her look like something she doesn't look like, right. for instance. Like um, in her mind, she wants to look like a uh, like a movie star. Sure. But that's not reality. Sure. And Hairdry- hairstylists have a hard time with that, too. They come in and they're yeah. like, hey, can you make me look like Brad Pitt, please? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like you can't like you can do a lot, but sure. you can't create a person that they aren't. And so it's the same with bands. It's like, if you want to look like a pro band, you kind of need to look like a pro band before there's a camera in front of your face. Yo. And there's something to be said straight up when it comes down to like, uh, I mean, being straightforward as a professional, when somebody asked me to kind of do something ridiculous, like when they have those, when there's kind of a ridiculous, uh, expectation of like, can you make me look 20 pounds lighter in every single photo? There's something to be said about, you know, still being me, still being professional, but still being able to say like, well, you know, you, you got six months before the shoot. So you might want to like hit the gym. You might want to, you know, and, and that might offend them, but at the same time, like at least somebody said it, you know what I'm saying? Oh my God. It's the total truth. Like I can't, I can, I can create the best version of yourself that I can possibly create. That's it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I can mm-hmm. Photoshop the shit out of a photo, like one photo and make you look like a completely different person, but that's going to blow up in your face whenever they meet you in real life and go, who are you? That's right. You know, and you can't do that to every photo no. from Unless a you, photo shoot. I mean, if you have a million bucks, like that's cool. Yeah. I've said that before too. It's like, can you make me look 20 pounds lighter in all of these photos? It's like, yeah, for a million dollars. Sure. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think that like, it's very similar, you know, because I know Anthony's an engineer, Mm -hmm. like just think about a band that comes to you totally unprepared where they have members of the band that like are wrong for the part, like that local band that plays metal, but they have a jazz drummer right. who can't play double bass. Sure. That kind of stuff. Like that's a shitty situation. Right. Just that's the same thing that you're doing to a photographer. If you're not, if you don't know what you should look like and you haven't practiced being on camera. Well, there's something to be said too, is like the balance of like the work, uh, lifestyle and the, uh, you know, health lifestyle. I mean, you know, if you go back to the eighties, look at the million, look at the millionaires from the eighties, look at Eddie Van Halen dudes ripped and, it, mm-hmm. and, and he put time into that. 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, um, you know, Robert Plant and all them, I mean, they were just like thin and skinny and, you know, that was, you know, that, that worked, but I'm just saying in general, like there's something to be said in professional, the professional world and like marketing and branding. If you put the time into, you know, kind of taking, I don't know, man, there's something to be said about like people that successful people that you can just tell that they take care of themselves. And it's like, it's one of those things where if you put that time into that, like people recognize that like, not only are you willing to do the work there, but you're willing to do the work for yourself and like keep yourself because there's something to be said about the fact if you get signed to a band, they want longevity out of you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, they want longevity and uh, absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, putting that instead of relying on me as a crutch to like, you know, use the liquefy tool to suck in the gut. I mean, there's something to be said about going out there and, and showing people that you're willing to bust your ass to like be in the best condition and the best shape that you can be. Because I mean, if you want to turn yourself into a valuable asset to a label, you know, you kind of have to show that in all, you know, all facets. Does that make sense? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's one question from David Sustaita, which is, what camera lenses do you use for low lighting situations and still maintain a fast shutter speed and low noise ISO? Cool. And what lens is your workhorse lens? Word. Good question. Um, so I uh, use, I'm a Nikon shooter. So Nikon, I um, my two cameras that I use is a Nikon D810 and a Nikon D800E. I am in the market for the D- Nikon D850, although I have to drop $3,500 for a camera body that's really not even available right now. So I've been kind of waiting on that. Um, Nikon, I've, uh, I've been lucky enough. Canon's an amazing company. By all means, it's amazing. Okay. Uh, Nikon's an amazing company. Pentax makes good cameras. Sony makes amazing mirrorless cameras nowadays. I've just always shot Nikon. It's kind of like a soldier. It's kind of like a Marine. Like they're trained with their, their particular weapon of choice and they can like Mm -hmm. be in the dark and they can disassemble and reassemble the weapon in the dark. They know where everything is. They know, you know, and I don't really have to think. So the patents, the reason I use Nikon is if I pick up a, a Canon, I'm just not used to the the for, the interface and the interface is just opposite. So like your shutter speed finger and your aperture finger is opposite on a, on a Canon because of the patents. And so um, they just have to switch. You know, even when you, when you twist, when you connect a lens, like on a, on a, Nikon, you turn it to, you, you turn it clockwise. And I think Canon's counterclockwise. I mean, just stuff like that. They, they change just because of patent issues. But, um, I have shot side by side with a, let me think it was, uh, yeah, the Nikon D810 side by side to the Canon Mark three and, um, in low light scenarios, um, you know, the Nikon, in my opinion, one pretty significantly, uh, even the person that, and I was shooting a wedding and you're always in dark scenarios and weddings because everybody thinks darkness is romantic and it really can cause like an issue and a lot more pressure. But, um, yeah, so Nikon D810, Nikon D800E, uh, Nikon D800E is pretty killer because it doesn't have, I'm trying to think it, it doesn't have I think it doesn't have like an anti-aliasing filter, which aliasing is the issue that you get. Uh, it's called a moray pattern. Whenever you see digital videos of uh, somebody's wearing a checkered shirt, you see like that crazy wavy looking pattern. 
that's uh, that's called mm-hmm. a moray pattern, and that's kind of like something you don't want. Um, but they the Nikon D eight hundred E does not have an uh, an anti aliasing filter on it, which gives me that much more clarity. So I usually use that in the studio for um, you know studio lit scenarios and then the d810 is more of like my field camera but i do shoot both use both of them in the field um my go-to my workhorse lens um the lenses that i use the most would be uh 24 to 70 2.8 and when i start saying 2.8 that means that i have a fixed aperture on these lenses so if i zoom in and zoom out like there's no change in the aperture so a kit lens when you zoom in it's going to automatically kind of close like reduce the amount of light allowed into the lens because of the fact that there's not enough glass to magnify it through when you when you're zooming zooming in you're extending the tube which you're extending the amount of uh distance that the the light has to travel through the lens to hit the um the CMOS sensor the thing that takes the place of the film and so and a digital camera and so um basically i i i only purchase fixed aperture lenses. So I don't have to worry about my aperture changing, especially when you're shooting concerts because you're shooting in the dark. And the only thing that you have are the stage lights. Right. And so, um, they're, they're probably going to be twice as much. They're going to be, they're going to cost twice as much as a kit lens. So you, you know, if you have, um, you know, an $800, you know, uh, Sigma and Tamron back in the day were like my go-to companies before I invested completely in Nikon glass. So Sigma and Tamron are killer companies that make killer lenses by all means. Um, I'm just, I'm just completely dedicated to Nikon now. And, uh, so the 24 to 72.8 is my kind of go-to because I can get a decent, uh, depth of field when I zoom all the way in for portraiture and then a really nice wide, uh, wide look with minimal distortion. Uh, the VR, it's the 28 to 72.8 VR lens. It just came out, um, the vibration reduction. It's pretty significant, especially when I shoot video with this lens. And then now that I do have the vibration reduction with this particular lens, I can, um, you know, just kind of run and gun detail shots, particularly for weddings. Uh, I can drag my shutter speed to almost like 80th of a second handheld. And, you know, if I'm shooting photos of people in front of a fountain, I want the fountain to kind of have that blurry, like water flowing look. I can actually shoot that like handheld now, like 80th of a second, which is not at all what I'd be able to do with the, the, uh, the original lens that I used that didn't have the vibration reduction. Um, 85 millimeter, the 85 millimeter 1.4 by Nikon is, uh, my go-to, um, portrait lens. It's an amazing, like it has amazing depth of field. Uh, bokeh is the term in which you're referring to a photograph that has a blurry foreground and then your subjects in focus and then a blurry background. So the, the blur, like the description, the term for the blur of the, in a photo like that is called bokeh. So, um, it really creates like an amazing, bokeh look, uh, whenever you're doing portraiture, um, 7,200, 2.8 is my telephoto. Um, so when I'm shooting a concert, I will, uh, use the 7,200 to get a good reach and get that kind of intimate, like right in their face kind of look where you can still see the sweat coming off of them and all that. And then, uh, the 24 to 70 is what I usually use as my wide during a concert. And then I also have a, let's see, a 16 millimeter fisheye that I use. That's a Nikon. That's, um, that's, those are the 
that's the lens that I'll use to kind of show the entire crowd, like the crowd shots that I do for Gojira whenever it's like way back in the back and show the whole crowd and all the horns are like thrown in the air. Those, those, those are fisheye shots. And then I've got a, let's see, hundred, what is it? A 105 macro, uh, 2.8 by Nikon. And then I'm pretty sure that's it. So 2470, a 2.8 VR is like incredible. It's like a $2,700 lens though. So if you're looking something, something to compare, look up Sigma or Tamron, and I'm sure that you can find something comparable. Probably won't have the vibration reduction, but they make some killer stuff. Great answer. Cool. And Alex, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been awesome catching up. And- yeah, bro having you and flattering to see you in real life again hey, sometime we'll make it happen um i want to i'm i've been wanting to come down to atlanta anyway i've got plenty of people that i need to see so it's been been too long bro so we'll have to catch up and uh thanks for having me man it's uh you know i'm just a midwestern boy at heart i can't believe that people even care so i'm i'm really happy that uh this worked out and that you i can provide some kind of decent conversation for you there bro Absolutely, man. It's been great. All right. Thank you. Best of luck. Talk soon. To get in touch with the URM podcast, visit URM.com slash podcast and subscribe today.